Welcome to Cathedral Talk. While our podcast mission is to support the restoration efforts to save Notre Dame de Paris, today we're putting Zach and David on furlough, and instead I have the special privilege to interview Joe Alonzo, the headstone mason at Washington National Cathedral, to which we dedicate this episode. Welcome. We have a special day on our podcast for Cathedral Talk today, where uh, I've got with me the head mason at Washington National Cathedral, Joe Alonzo. I believe, Joe, you've been working here since the end of the construction of the cathedral. Is that correct? Yeah, well, 1985, we were actually working on the final phase of construction of the West Towers. Mm -hmm. So from 85 to 90, we were still constructing and, of course, completed the towers in 1990. If I remember correctly, those towers, we weren't even sure they were gonna be able to build them up until that last decade when they finally raised the funds to complete the whole cathedral. Exactly, yeah, it wasn't until the early, mid 80s that they knew by then at that point that they could get the funding to complete them. And that's why I arrived here. They were able to augment the crew. You know, they hired another stonemason like me and more stone carvers and yeah, that was the final push. Of course, the biggest news item that's been in the Washington Post and really for the last decade about the cathedral has been the 2011 earthquake that happened on August 23rd. I was actually a school teacher teaching in a classroom when the earthquake struck and I felt the tremors at 1.51 p.m. And I had never been in an earthquake before, but when I felt them, I was like, this is very unusual. And the TVs were shaking, the desks were shaking, and I was screaming at the kids, get onto the tables. It was the second day of school, so I didn't know anybody's names. But then once we all got into the tables, I thought, oh, geez, I hope the cathedral's okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> As the damage was appraised after the earthquake happened, I was surprised to find out that Washington National Cathedral seemed to sustain a lot more damage than a lot of the other buildings in the area. For example, the uh, National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, the Catholic Basilica, which is also built out of Indiana limestone, actually seemed, from what I could tell, came out relatively unscathed. Yeah, I think their tower, uh, yeah. that spire tower, whatever you call it, sure. uh, sustained some damage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the shrine did okay. But you know, it's not a full-on, solid, load-bearing masonry yeah. uh, structure like this. The shrine actually has a, a steel Does it really? frame and the limestone. See, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, it's still a a very solid yeah. masonry <laughs> building, but but it, it has that inner structure of steel. Yeah. And the stonework, even though it's big stonework, it's still uh, like a veneer. Right. Uh, so yeah, it behaved differently than, than this uh, real Gothic structure. Because the Washington National Cathedral was built to follow the real principles of medieval engineering. Correct. It is a solid load-bearing masonry structure. We've got you know, the, the limestone, heavy limestone walls, uh, the flying buttresses, the pinnacles, those are all doing what they're supposed to do. We have a lot of brick 
uh, also in the building, uh, which is totally normal. I mean, uh, a medieval cathedral would have had rubble, kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a rubble wall, a rubble fill in the walls, whereas we since it is a 20th century building, uh, lots of brick and concrete. I was actually going to ask you about the concrete coming up in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in general, the Washington National Cathedral did seem to sustain some of the most damage in the area. And today the work is still continuing. It's been 11 years now. And how many more years do you think we have to go? Well, again, depends on how the money comes in. You know, <laughs> we're 11 years in and we're a little more than halfway done. That's how it's worked out thus far. You know, we've sustained... About $38 million worth of damage. And we've got about $12 million to go, right? Is my math correct? Actually, I've got the Washington Post article right here ah, that just came the, out. Yeah, that last one, yeah. According yes. to Something. September 26th, the cathedral had raised, I guess, $115 million altogether. Well, that was that's for the capital campaign ah, okay. and all that. That's, okay. that's for all of the, the programs. But the earthquake chunk, okay. I believe, was, yeah. It, uh, it wasn't very clear in the article. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The article makes it sound like, you know, we've got $115 million for earthquake and the earthquake. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that that's that capital campaign number. Yeah, there's a lot the more programs. going on here than just reconstruction. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, our chunk is uh, supposedly $38 million in damage. Yeah. 12 more to go. So, yeah, based on that, if we're a little more than halfway, I could see us at this uh, another seven, eight years or, you know, whatever. Definitely. So we'll talk about some of the particular projects that you've been Mm -hmm, working on over mm -hmm. the years so far. Before we get to that, though, I had a question about keeping track of damage on the cathedral. Uh, In particular, there, of course, are already just natural cracks that formed before the earthquake versus, again, you have much bigger cracks that happened after the earthquake. How do you keep track of which cracks are, like, significantly you know, vulnerable versus other cracks that don't matter so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not just cracks, just the yeah. damage that, that right. we observe. But right. um, yeah, so you're, you're correct. The, uh, the cathedral has undergone structural settlement, mm-hmm. differential settlement over the years, you know, probably since the beginning of its construction. You could walk on the far east end of the building over the vaulting or just observe, uh, you know, cracking and and movement that started probably like i said very early on there's and one I, th- I think there's like a big crack right over the central square above the overcroft that i think i heard somewhere that they keep track of is their motion yeah over we have these telltales these motion sensors yeah. they're basically two steel pins fixed on blocks over the crack and they're gapped and we use uh, feeler gauges, mm-hmm. literally, you know, to check. And, and it's interesting because uh, we've, and the, the biggest area of movement on the cathedral, yeah. this is prior to the earthquake, okay. um, is on the west end. Oh, really? The west towers. The newest side. The newest side where the west towers join the nave. You walk in the west doors, okay, and I can even show you on the marble floor, okay, as you walk in, you know, there at the beginning of the nave, the western end, yeah, of the nave, you'll see a crack in the marble floor that runs along one of the joints. But you know, you think about the, the cathedral was built in sections, yes, right over the decades, over the eighty-three years. First, they built the apse, the far east end, then they built the choir. You know, and then they went north with the north transept. But I always think of the cathedral, I mean, it is one building, one structure. But if you look at all the different parts of the cathedral, the north transept, the south transept, the choir, the nave, the west towers, I mean, it's really 
several structures yeah. joined together. It's multiple buildings almost just attached. It is. Multiple buildings joined together. Uh, as they constructed them, they joined them together. Um, the cathedral sits on a massive concrete, poured concrete mm. foundation. Okay. But even that foundation, well, it's it's kind of interesting. That foundation was pretty much built. You know, the, even the, 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 the footprint of the cathedral, you can look at the old photos. Yeah. Um, throughout the 1920s, they were pretty much building the choir. Yes. But at the same time, they were digging and pouring all of the concrete foundations all the way to the west. Prevent other people from building so something there. <laughs> the, uh, the footprint of the cathedral by 1930 was there. Really? The footprint was there. I did not know it was that early. Yes. That's only like 23 years from the very beginning of the right. cornerstone. I mean, it was it, it just what went into digging and pouring all that concrete. You know, I, I look at the drawings, I look at photographs, and it's mind-blowing. So anyway, by, by 1930, the footprint of the building was there, even though... The only thing that was finished was the the apse and the choir, and then you know they started building the north transept. So all over those decades, they just started building on top of those foundations. But the west towers—it's kind of interesting. Um, the footings, the foundations for the west towers were actually built for the first version of the west towers. Um, you uh, know, the shorter, stubbier ones. Right. You know, we had the original design of the cathedral was designed by the two British architects, right. George Bodley and Henry Vaughan. But by the end of the 1920s, they were both dead. Mm. And that's when, actually, I think 1921, Philip Froman okay. took over as cathedral architect. And he remained the cathedral architect for 50 years until he died in the early 70s. Oh, geez. <laughs> so the cathedral that we see today is actually uh, refined or changed somewhat by Froman. If you look at the Bodley and Vaughn design, the only part of the cathedral that's the Bodley Vaughn design is the apse and the choir. When Froman took over, he tweaked Bodley and Vaughn's design. But the biggest tweak, I think, was the West Towers. Um, he made them taller, wider, bigger. That little northwest wing that sticks out at the bottom and the rare book wing on the south were added afterward. But basically, those towers are sitting on the original foundations that yeah. were meant to support the Bodley and Vaughn right. towers. And then when these west towers started uh, construction in the, the late 1960s, early 70s, they added concrete. From what I gather, we, we had a lot of studies done on this, and they added concrete. They stepped out on top of those footings, and then when they built the Northwest Wing and the Rare Book Wing, they just built two little foundations for those and just kind of attached them to the West Towers. But anyway, as these towers were being built uh, starting in 1970, and you know we finished them in 1990, all that weight being added, the settlement occurred. And it's not unusual. Oh, it's very normal. Notre, yeah. Notre Dame incurred settlement where its exactly. whole western facade started to tilt exactly. forward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's not unusual. And we started seeing it. I remember in the mid to late 80s, as we were moving along with the West Tower construction, our architect at the time, we, and you can still see it in the Northwest Wing mm -hmm. and in the Rare Book Wing, as these towers you know, went up and up and up, and we're pushing down and settling. 
these little wings that were built, because, you know, the Northwest Wing and the Rare Book Wing were built in the uh, mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen the photos, right? Yeah. You know, you see those two little wings sticking out, and then there's no towers, which was really clever. I think they did that because that gained you access into the building. Yeah. You know, when they finished those two wings by the mid-60s, you were able to enter the cathedral you know, through those little wings and through the outer aisles while they still built the towers up. Right. So I thought that was a pretty clever, you know, way of doing it. But those two little wings, you started seeing the evidence of the settlement in the piers. And you've seen them when you Mm -hmm. walk in, how they're offset. Mm -hmm. And they were moving like crazy starting in the, like I said, late 80s. And then when we finished the cathedral in 90, in throughout the 90s, we were recording you know, movement. They just kept on those those cracks and joints and the offsetting of the piers seemed to just keep creeping Ugh. and creeping. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were like, well, when is this going to stop? You yeah. know? And uh, uh, we had a, a brilliant professor of uh, uh, engineering architecture from Princeton, uh, Robert Mark. Robert was a great guy. Uh, uh, his specialty was Gothic buildings. Okay. Uh, he did studies on Notre Dame and mm-hmm. and other um, cathedrals. And it was Robert who who came up with our monitoring program. Uh, he and I would so basically I was doing this from the early '90s through the early 2000s. We would set up a level, an optical level in the middle of the narthex at a fixed point, and the little spots are still on the walls. And I would shoot these grades Mm -hmm. i would shoot these points once a month and then robert would record the data and analyze it but what we were seeing throughout the 90s or into the 90s was still some settlement Mm -hmm. of the building however by the late 90s early 2000s the settlement was receding stopping um and what we would see also then is thermal movement um oh. uh, and you and 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 there's other areas in the building if you know yeah like uh, when you're down here in the overcroft yeah. of the tower where the nave joins right you see that crack yes in the floor that we kind of filled with caulk and you've got another <laughs> one uh south transept side you've got another one north transept side so again where these four buildings join together right i call the south transept is i mean there's churches smaller than oh yeah transept. so oh, far, far so yeah so we would monitor all of that yeah and what we were finding out that by the early 2000s on the west end the settlement of the towers uh dramatically stopped and what we were seeing then was just thermal movement so in the warm weather the cracks and our little elevation points would reflect the fact that the masonry heated up in the warm weather and expanded so the cracks would get tighter. Hmm. In the cold weather, in the winter, they would contract and the cracks would get bigger. And we would notice variations in the gaps, you know, as much as an eighth to three sixteenths of an inch from winter to summer. That's considerable. But the good thing is, like I said, it went back, yeah. you know, in the winter, yeah. it opens up, in the summer, it tightens up. And as long as it keeps doing that, yeah. according to Robert, and, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I'm no engineer, but, you know, the building, I think the West Towers have found where they want to be. <laughs> uh, um, we no longer do the monthly monitoring. I do it uh, about three times a year, right. you know, but not as intense. Yeah, But yeah, the building is kind of, I would say it kind of found where it wants to be. <laughs> well, and the um, when the earthquake happens, did that shift anything in the foundations, or is it all stuff on the top? Oh, pretty much on the top. I mean, when that 
earthquake hit when that seismic action took place through the ground. Again, this building is on such a massive footing yeah. foundation that that sustained no damage and neither did the structure of the building. You know, it's not like we had cracks running through the walls of the building. It's not like the arches collapsed. I mean, the, the structure, the building absorbed the energy quite well, although being a Gothic cathedral, a Gothic building with all these uh, pinnacles and finials and buttresses and all these slender right. architectural elements up high. So that energy, I mean, look where we're sitting right now here in the tower. Oh, yeah. Although I do remember these little windows actually buckled in some areas. You yeah. see? The glass sort of... And, and actually, yeah. the glass, um, we did get some broken glass in these little windows. Yep. It's been since repaired. But again, the, the structure, that energy just kept on going up, 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 up. Yeah. And, you know, like the cracking of a whip. Right. Boom! You know, yeah, we're it, quite high up right now. So. And we're, yeah, and, and the top of this tower sustained the worst of the damage, being up 301 feet to the top of these uh, central tower pinnacles until we removed 16 <laughs> feet of pinnacle. Yeah. <laughs> from the... So hopefully we'll be back to 301 feet one day. Well, I remember when that first ginormous crane was brought in and new scaffolding was being built on the top of the Well, the structure tower. that's up here, yeah. yeah, the stabilization structure and the yeah structure that's up there. It's there for stabilization and for access. Yeah. And then the crane fell over. And then the crane fell over. Man, oh man, oh man. Yeah, the storm came in, the crane fell over, and that was It was another... amazing that it fell exactly parallel to the nave, though. So to the road, yeah, right along South Road. If it was going to fall, it couldn't have fallen any better. Some than cars didn't roll away from that, but at least the cathedral kept going. And no one got hurt or yeah. killed. And, you know, that's the main thing. You know, you can fix the broken stuff, not the broken people. So <laughs> when it comes to all the work that has to be done over these this last decade of repairs, how did you prioritize what had to happen first and second and third? Oh, well, yeah. So after the earthquake, we uh, got a hold of our engineering team, our engineers, our partners. It's a big firm, big nationwide firm the, uh, here and also here in D.C., WJE, Wiss, Janie, Elsner. Great, great folks. But uh, uh, they came in and assisted with their assessment team. I mean, we just, uh, the building just, you know, we were shut down. The building was swarming with engineers and us and others. And, you know, we were doing a survey, a detailed survey of the building. That's, that's pretty much what occupied us in the first, you know, weeks after the quake. It was, well, yeah, I, I call it triage. You know, we were engaged in masonry triage. Well, one of the first things that was done, if I remember correctly, were the flying buttresses on the apse on the east end. Yeah, the east end buttresses. Yeah, the, uh, that's interesting what happened there. Uh, so, yeah, the day of the quake, you know, we were, I was here, uh, uh, my colleague Andy and I were working on the west front steps. There was a little repair. You know, there, we were preparing for the big 9-11, <laughs> 10th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And that was coming up and, you know, everyone was getting in. There was anyway, on the front steps there, there was a couple little areas that we wanted to re-tuck point and spruce up and like, yeah, let's do that. You know, get that ready for 9-11. It's only a couple of weeks away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's where we were when the quake hit. When I was walking toward our truck, I had to go get something out of the shop. And yeah. I had just gotten in the truck and I heard what I thought were explosions. Uh, I was on the south side and then Andy, my colleague, was still there on the steps in the center. But I thought I heard, you know, this boom, boom, boom. 
I didn't feel the shaking because I was in the truck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I right. wasn't driving. I was just just sat in it. But then I got out, and I, and I, you know these explosions that I heard. I don't know why I thought the uh, there's a big um, air conditioning condensing units on the yeah. roof of the rear book wing and on the roof of the northwest wing. And I don't know what I I said. Did these did this condenser just explode? Right. You know. I. I. I yeah. Your mind. And then. Uh, then I came back to the west end where Andy was, and then all of a sudden people start running out of the building. Yeah, and we were then just thinking, "Oh my God, earthquake!" Yeah, I not a corner of my eye. You know, I saw a couple bits. I think what I saw was. I was going to say, did you see anything in real time? <laughs> anything I like think swaying? What I saw, yeah, out of the corner of my eye, and Andy saw it better than me. But was uh, the one thing that fell from the the west towers, one of the intermediate pinnacles, the finial came off. Okay, and fell and buried itself in that little piece of lawn in front of the northwest wing. That was the single biggest piece that literally fell to the ground. We had bigger pieces fall and land on roofs and gutters and parapets. So then we were telling people to get away from the building, not knowing, uh, you know, I know all the slender elements that are on those west towers. So we just thought, get away from the building, get away from the building. And, and, you know, it lasted 58 seconds. Right. And then we're on the West End there on the, on the West Front going, what the, you know. Um, and, and you've said to me before, if the earthquake had gone on for just a few more seconds. Oh, yeah. If you go, yeah, I can talk about that with our, <laughs> our triage. Yeah, you, I, I, but immediate there, the immediate moment of the earthquake, you know, again, we were on the West Front. So that's what we witnessed. Mm. And then I noticed uh, on the North Lawn here is where I started noticing uh, people standing on the North Lawn and looking up and pointing. Then we walked around to the North Lawn, and that's when everyone was looking up at the top of this tower. The central tower, yeah. The top of these pinnacles just going, what the? And then, of course, the Southwest pinnacle had lost the top third of its pinnacle, right? Uh, the finial and the four courses beneath it. So, you know, a section probably eight, nine feet tall, probably a four ton, five ton section of stone. But, and that landed on the roof mm-hmm. when it was shaking back and forth. So there was a crew of roofers. Uh, we had a, a roofing uh, um, <laughs> company was working on Hearst Hall that day or that summer. They were doing work there on the gutters of Hearst Hall and they had a scaffold. And one of the guys who I knew later, I spoke to him, but he was looking at this tower while he was up on his scaffold, you know, shaking and shimmying. And he saw the pinnacles of this tower swaying back and forth. And he saw this Southwest one cut loose Ugh. and fall. And may- maybe that was that explosion that I heard. Right. The sound of the five tons, four or five tons pinnacle uh, landing on the concrete roof. The roof and the top of the central tower is incredibly robust, isn't it? Oh, all of the floors of this central tower yeah. are. Yeah, you see them. I mean, they're poured in place concrete beams with a one foot thick concrete slab. Mm. Mm-hmm. The concrete deck in between the beams, yeah. it's not a four-inch slab like on most buildings. Right. It's a 12-inch slab. Wow. <laughs> um, so the pinnacle landing on that, and it could have just as easily gone the other way. Yeah. Had it gone the other direction, of course, it would have fallen 150 feet, probably gone through the roof of either the nave, you know, that southwest corner of the nave or of the south transept. It would have gone right through that because the roof planks are only three inches thick, lightweight concrete. And who knows? 
Might have gone all the way down through the vaulting. Yeah. I mean, I mean it would have been a five-ton missile. Yeah. Right? Well, again, nobody, fortunately, was hurt. Right, right. And the folks got out of the building. And, and then there was, you know, then we did a quick circuit of the building. And, uh, um, then around the east end. Oh, yeah, on the east end at the apse, we noticed the flying buttresses. And, and those are unique. You know, the six freestanding buttresses yes. around the apse. Those are unique in that the pier of the buttress is not connected to the wall. Right. You know, if you look at all our other flying buttresses on this building, they're known as engaged buttresses. Mm -hmm. The piers are built into the wall, and then just the flyers come out and join the walls. Whereas the apse, you have that freestanding pier yes. with the flyers coming out and connecting to the wall. So what happened there, the freestanding pier kind of did this. It, it More sway. It swayed pulled the flying arches like an accordion. More, you know, more stretching and compression. Stretched right? them out of compression yeah. and then recompressed them. Right. But they broke their bond at where they hinged and you saw the damage. And so that I immediately saw from the ground thinking, ooh, that's not good. Well, I was going to say, I, this is actually one of my questions. You led right into it. Oh, okay. Uh, because those freestanding buttresses, I can't think, I mean, it may exist and maybe I'm not aware of it, but I can't think of another cathedral that has fleet exactly. freestanding so buttresses like that. I, I might be wrong also, but uh, it's a very unique feature to this cathedral. And yeah, yeah, I've been to lots of cathedrals in Europe and yeah. uh, I've not seen that unique. Well, and I know you're not a structural engineer, but do you think that it would have been as bad had they been more traditional and attached to the building? I don't think they would have moved the way they did. Yeah. Because all of our other flying buttresses fared pretty well. I mean, we've had, we had some, uh, I think when you were up there with me, I showed you, but the lower arch of the flyer yeah. on a few of them, they dropped three-eighths of an inch, half an inch, but they didn't crack the way the ones on the east end did. Right. So the engaged buttresses are all around the building actually did quite well. Now the pinnacles on top of those buttresses didn't. You know, again, that energy kept going up, up, up. And right. Spun them and rotated them. And you know, the other interesting thing, um, the apps flying buttresses actually We've worked on those back in the 80s. Oh, you had to go back. If you go back, way back to the 1920s, the apse, the East End was completed by 1918. Mm. So those big freestanding buttresses were completed by 1918. Very early. Probably being built in 1915, 16, yeah. 17, whatever. Uh, but there's mention in the building committee minutes from the 20s of cracking in the apps buttresses uh. and they were already up there from what we can gather doing some repairs to them mm. and again in the 1950s they were up there doing work we got up there in the 80s where those flyers were out of compression and it's interesting our our engineer uh, robert uh robert mark our good friend there from princeton back in the 80s and 90s you know robert had a theory that those apps flying buttresses may not be holding up the walls of the apps as much going to be as my you question. think. Yes. Again, me not being an engineer, but they're not, according to Robert, they've never been under that much compression. Yeah. It's like you could almost remove them <laughs> and not need them. Well, I mean, Washington National Cathedral is a very large cathedral. It is very right. long. It's got tall towers. 
Its nave height is actually rather modest. It's actually a little bit shorter. In the middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a little bit shorter than Notre Dame. And there's some debate of how much those flying buttresses are needed. Well, I think our all our other flying buttresses probably are, yes. Probably are, because if you look at I mean the whole thing about flying buttresses, right? The medieval builders figured out well, the whole thing about the big stained glass windows, right? You right. open up those walls, uh, those clear story walls, and put these huge windows, and you don't have to make the walls as thick right. because you're bracing them from the exterior. Oh, the w- windows and the apps are narrower. So they're narrower, and they're not yeah. as big. Yeah. And the walls of the apps are actually quite thick, Yeah, relatively speaking, but... Yeah, it's an interesting theory. It's it, I don't know if it's been completely fleshed out, but I always remember Robert talking about that. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that, you know, they've done work on these buttresses over the years, right. you know, not even earthquake related. Yeah. It, it's it, that would be an interesting uh, theory for someone to pursue. Well, so the if those east end flying buttresses may not be as essential as the others, I assume then that means even though they had tremendous swaying during the earthquake, the vaults on the apps sort of hemicycle were probably not that damaged themselves. Well, they weren't damaged at all. And that's the other interesting thing. If you walk on top of the vaulting, you know, of the choir and you go all the way to the east end, the vaulting of the east end of the apps, the first vaulting that was built, it's really uh, unique. It's, they are massive blocks of limestone. I should take you out there one day. Uh, please do. <laughs> I'll, do. I'll go on any Walk field trip above with you. and look down. I can point out to you. Oh, and here's a little cool aside. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I told you this when you were here last, but um, the 30th of September, I had over here, uh, I hosted, we hosted the two architects who are restoring Notre Dame. Oh. Philippe Villeneuve. Oh, man. I can't believe I missed that. Remy, Remy Fournot or something. Yes. Like. Anyway, yes. Philippe and Remy. Awesome guys. Yes. They were here in D.C. Uh, at Catholic U doing a program. Oh. And it somehow is, like, hey, they're here. Uh, I went to their program, their talk. Anyway, one thing led to another. They they came and visited us that Friday, oh. and I uh, took them all around. Oh, nice. That oh, was awesome. These, they, these guys are a hoot. Yeah, yeah. They were awesome guys. Really cool guys. What, what, what comparisons did they make? Like with what they saw versus so Notre I, Dame? So I, you know, I took them around. I showed them, you know, our scaffold where we're doing the earthquake repair. I took them out on our gutters, you know, and the roof. But but what I really wanted them to see, and I spoke to them about, you know, we were standing. It was cool to be with them standing uh, down on our crossing platform, looking up at our main crossing vault, which right. is the one that collapsed at Notre Dame. Yes, it is. Oh, actually, it was that one well, and the one's the big off. one. And the, there's a few Exactly. Sections. Pretty much like, it's like our main vault and then the first vault of our north transept, the first vault of our nave, yeah. those also were pierced. Yes. So, so yeah, I did, t- took them in, took them in there, looked up, you know, I was like, yeah, so, you know, this would be your main vault that collapsed. And they're like, yes, yes. You know, so, so I took them up and we walked on top of our vaulting. They were just all over it. Yeah. You know, they were just <laughs> all over it. They, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so that was really cool. And of course, we were looking at our roof structure. Of course, our roof structure is steel. Yes. They're going wood. back with wood. They're going to rebuild with wood. Yes. Um, but, but no, it was just great walking and they couldn't believe, you know, our, our vault. It's like, the real thing, isn't it? They're like, yep, you know. Well, okay, all right. So I actually, this leads into a question that I had prepared much later. Um, one detail that gets left out in a lot of books about vault construction 
is that, of course, you've got the ribs made of the large blocks of limestone, and right. it's all placed on the wooden or whatever material you're using for your framework. Yeah, the centering, they call it. And then you have your little bits of stone to build the webbing on the lagging. Or the infill, the we infill. call it infill, yeah. But one detail that often seems to get left out is the vault is all held together by a large pour of concrete, right? Is there large concrete pouring all over our vault? No, no, no. The no? only, no, see, okay. actually, only section of vaulting on this cathedral that has a oh. concrete pour on top of it is the far, far east end, the apse, the first vaulting they built. You stick your head in through that door on the east end and look above our choir vaulting, it's just limestone. Okay. And such is, and it's the same case, uh, the south transept, uh, north transept, and the nave. Uh, they, they parged over uh, the nave and the north transept. They put a thin parge coat of mortar yeah. over it. But no, there's no structure of concrete above except our Far East End. Interesting. Which, okay. again, I think is part of that theory of the, the apse may not have needed those six freestanding oh and you got the macaulay book yeah so i, <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly may, maybe macaulay gets it wrong but what's the yeah, let me i've been a while since i've seen the book well, yeah so in the book yeah. he talks about of course you build the wooden framework you build your ribs right. out of the blocks of limestone then you have your filling with your small bits of limestone but then he goes into great detail about how you then pour the mortar is set a four inch layer of concrete was poured over the entire vault yeah i've seen that on some of the medieval cathedrals yeah yeah, so okay. there is a shell. So sometimes but it was done, but not always. No, okay. ours doesn't. Uh, ours doesn't have it. Ours is just the limestone. It's not necessary. So it, it's not necessary I mean, because it's still <laughs> under compression. Yeah, but okay. um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now I remember that in in the and I've seen that. I've been up on vaults in European cathedrals. It seems to me the English cathedrals were very similar similar to ours. I didn't see that. Well, later. English cathedrals just have more ribs like ours does. Like we had like French ribs are actually rather plain. They only usually right. have the four piers four, connected. Yeah, where we have yeah. um multiple yeah uh, coming up in there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. I'll, you'll have to I'll take you out there one day. Well, but anyway, <laughs> Remy and Philippe were quite intrigued by that. Um so anyway, they they really uh thought this cathedral was awesome. They, they'd never been here, okay. um, and uh, they loved it. They were very impressed. Uh, so yeah, we made a cool connection It's, with it's always guys. neat to see how s small world it is for gothic yeah, it enthusiasts. Is. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. And we have another uh, good connection. There's, a, there's some folks from York Minster. They, oh, yes. I'm, I'm going to host them uh, here in December, mm -hmm. the young woman who's one of their project managers and their head of their works department. They're really cool. I know at York um, Minster, they're doing a big project where they're trying to protect a lot of their stained glass. With yeah, like that's extra right. Extra panels of like like sort of weather resistance. Stuff. Yeah, that's a big thing that's out there in the stained glass world, whether to do the exterior, yeah. uh, you know, protective glazing. There's the, you know, schools of thought both ways and right so anyway we're not looking at that yeah i think they're the trying moment. to decide what to do at notre dame right now do they do that as well uh, yeah, yeah yeah so a little bit actually i had a couple questions about the mortar is replacing mortar just a regular process that happens in the life of a cathedral regardless of big earthquakes yeah i mean the 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 ex you know you look at the the way our you know our cathedrals built or any big stone building uh the stones are bedded down in you know, a bed of mortar. But uh, unlike, you know, when you lay brick or block, you finish the mortar joint off right to the edge, you know, of the brick. Whereas this big heavy stonework, you lay the blocks of stone 
uh, you spread the mortar bed, but you keep the mortar rake back about hmm. an inch or so from the face of the stone. Okay. Which is, and, and, and you don't want to pack that mortar into the edge again. It's all to do with <laughs> settlement. And yeah. as you're, again, you're building these massive stone. This is not, you know, a little house or something, of course. This is, you know, these massive thousands of tons of stone. You, you don't do the final tuck pointing the final mortar until you're coming down after you've built the structure, which allows things to kind of settle. Yeah. And that's the way it's always been done. So you always keep the mortar rake back when you're building the structure. So this central tower, for instance, or any part of the cathedral, they started, you know, laying those big blocks and working their way up, 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 you know, and uh, uh, when they finished, then you do the final cleaning of the stone because you know the stone's mm -hmm. dirty yeah mortar streaks and stains so you're cleaning and tuck pointing with a different mortar typically you want to use a slightly softer mortar for that mm. final inch three quarters of an inch of joint again to allow for movement in the building now because you want the limestone to be safe and if something has to go the mortar should take the mortar the should always be the sacrificial right part although again see now this is where it gets a little weird sometimes on this building this is a modern 20th century structure and what was around at the beginning of the 20th century it was the beginning of the use the widespread use of portland cement mortar up until the late 19th century, mortar was the lime mortar. Mm. I mean, that the Romans invented. Yeah. And the predominant mortar that was used in laying any kind of bricks or stones, cathedrals, whatever, was a lime-based mortar where they took crushed limestone, pulverized it, and then cooked it in a kiln. Mm -hmm. And that became the, the cement that you added to the sand. Mm -hmm. And then the chemical reaction that makes it get hard. But the thing about lime mortar, lime mortar was always soft. And then around the yeah late 19th century, maybe the 1880s is when Portland cement was invented. Okay. Which was a whole different chemical process. In other words, it made your mortar a lot harder. Okay. Which like for concrete was a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, but... It went from, in the late 19th century, from this lime-based mortar that had been around for centuries yeah. to Portland cement mortar. Man, this stuff is great. It gets hard. You know, the harder, the better. So it can actually inadvertently damage limestone? It could. It okay. could. And what's interesting about this building, especially on the older parts of the cathedral, the, the apse, the choir, the north transept. So stuff that started from 1907 to the, you know, 1930s. Yeah. The mortar used on the construction of those parts of the cathedral was a very Portland cement rich mortar. So very hard. And the recipe, I found the specification with the mortar mix when they were building the apps. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have it. I still have a copy of it. It's from 1916. It says, the mix shall consist of Two parts sand, one part Portland cement, white Portland cement, hmm. and one part lime. Mm -hmm. So two, one, and one, that is a hard, you ask any mason, Yeah, that is a hard, okay. hard mortar mix. Okay. Um, and I think the thinking was back then, I even with me working, you know, when I started the, you know, the masons, the old masons, I mean, it was harder was always better. Oh, it gets hard. That means it'll last a long time. Well- <laughs> 
you do start to see more cracking in the walls because of that. Oh, boy. Um, however, the one saving grace here on the cathedral, what really damages, especially it's, it's the older historic buildings. Like you get these, you know, like here in this country, like uh, colonial era buildings, sure. right? The, the old houses in Georgetown or Old Town that were built, you know, those old brick homes mm -hmm. that were built in colonial times, you know, the brick were laid in lime mortar. Mm -hmm. But then come the 1900s or whatever, when it came time to repoint your old brick house, yep. you know, they cut out that soft lime mortar and repointed it with the hard Portland mortar. Right. That's when you have problems, when your hard outer mortar is harder than the softer inner mortar. Okay. And even, oh, and I saw examples of that in Europe, in, in the UK. Uh, I, I remember visiting Salisbury and Canterbury and uh, in the early 90s, I was at Salisbury Cathedral, and they were doing a big uh, restoration of their spire. Yes. And uh, and being up there with the Masons and seeing the damage that the hard mortar caused to the, you know, ancient medieval stonework. Oh, that's a tragedy. That was laid. Oh, and it's, you know, you walk around, you see the damage. You'll see the mortar deteriorates the stone, and then if the stone moves, it breaks, and but I would point out things, and I, I remember the mason I was with, he's like, yeah, those those bloody Victorians and their <laughs> Portland cement mortar. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, that, a, it's, a, just, it's amazing how many restoration projects have happened over the years that had good intentions, but really oh, made yeah, things no, worse. Nothing against. I mean, yeah. they thought, they're like, wow, this is great, this is hard. But even here at this cathedral, I found a memo, and I still have it in my files, written in the 1950s when the south transept was being built yeah. by Philip Froman, the architect, who he mentioned the cracking and the damage that the hard mortar had caused on the eastern end of the cathedral. So it was right around the 1950s where they changed the mortar mix recipe to a slightly softer mortar. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, things evolve. And nowadays, what we're using, for instance, in a current project here on the south, south side of the nave, yeah. um, they've really come a long way with restoration uh, mortar. So we use a real, I think I showed you that. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yes. I did. We're doing the repointing of the buttresses. And there's, there's companies out there now that make a ready-mixed restoration-type custom color mortar and it's great stuff. And you're not relying on, you know, the guy who's, you know, okay, three shovels. Oh, was that three or four shovels of sand that I just threw in there? Oh, well, let me throw a little extra cement in there because I forgot how many shovels of sand I threw in here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that part, we're using some really good materials now for the restoration work, I think. Well, and again, all the mortar, what's it called? Mortar, when you reapply it? Repoint. Repointing. Repointing. When you're re all the mortar repointing that you showed me, again, that was all related to earthquake damage. No, not all. Oh, not all. No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, um, one good thing about one good, you know, about this earthquake, you know, the elaborate scaffolding that we have to build to get to the work enables us access to areas. So, why not repoint the entire wall, right. the entire buttress? It needs it anyway. So, th so this is kind of getting to my question. Like the cathedral on a regular lifetime basis just needs it to be done. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were doing that before the earthquake. But now with the earthquake, you know, so if you start, you know, if you look at the cathedral now since we since the earthquake, you, if you start here on the, I always like to start on the north transept facade. Yeah. 
you know, and the North Transept Pinnacles. I mean, we did all that in 2016. Mm -hmm. Then in 2017, we actually jumped to the West Towers. There were just two pinnacles on the West Towers that needed work. But then in 2017, we also dismantled that big Southwest Transept Pinnacle. Oh, that huge one. 2018, we did the Garth, the north side of the choir and the, you know, east side of the north transept. Repointed, you know, repaired. Uh, oh, 2014-2015, that was actually the first earthquake repair. That was the flying buttresses of the apps. Yes. So, 14-15 apps, 16 north transept, 17 west, 18 Garth. 19, we were not on the building doing any earthquake repairs. However, we're doing a lot of carving of stones that we put back on the building in 2020, the year of COVID. We were on that south side of the choir. Yep. 2021, we did a couple of buttresses here on the uh, south transept, and here we are in 2022. So pretty much everything's been repointed and cleaned and repaired starting on this north transept going all the way around the apse. I mean, that's the way these catastrophes are, right? When the earthquake happens, you know, it's a tragedy in some ways, but it's an opportunity an in so many opportunity, other ways. whoa, without a doubt, to get up there and... And ever more so at Notre Dame with the fire, a terrible tragedy, but the cathedral's gonna look better than it ever has before when they're done. Right, I mean, they've removed all their stained glass windows. And now we haven't, our stained, you know, people ask me this all the time, oh, they're the stained glass windows uh, sustain damage in the earthquakes. Like, no, as a matter of fact, no, not at all. Because think about it, all the stained glass windows are inside of one of the cathedral's very stout walls. And the top of the stained glass window is a Gothic arch. Yeah. So that energy just went right up through all that. And it's like a soft lead, I think. Yeah. And the windows, yeah, they kind of float in there. So no, yeah. no, the windows were untouched by the yeah. earthquake. Now, again, we're having all that scaffolding in front of the windows. We were able to reglaze some of them, reputty them, clean them. Um, on the interior, when we did all the interior work, the ceiling repairs uh, in 2014 and 15, the windows all got washed. Um, I mean, they were filthy. Just literally a, a bucket of water and a sponge. The guys would just wipe the windows down with water and a sponge. And after a few wipes, I mean, the water was black. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, you know, that was a good silver lining. Absolutely. Uh, to everything. Yep. Well, I think my last really earthquake-related question, like, don't worry, I have more. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> my last earthquake-related question is, is the cathedral, when all the work is done, after all the restoration has been taken care of, will the cathedral be a more earthquake-resistant cathedral than it's been? Oh, absolutely it will be because of the seismic, as they call it, our engineers like to call it, seismic upgrades. Yeah. You know, that we're doing again, and that's the drilling through every pinnacle that we dismantle with a three-inch diameter hole going down 20, 30-some feet sure. with the stainless steel rod in there yeah. and the rod going all the way up through. Not so exactly a medieval technique, but important. <laughs> well, but still not real. I mean, all of them had, even the these, I mean, we had little bronze pins between the stones that were used for alignment, but you can't tell. It's, you know, all hidden inside. Well, and when the earthquake first happened, and we all got to see the damage, especially when we were all up in the central tower, again, us ringers for the first time, and we took a look in particular at that south transept and its terribly rotated pinnacles. Rotated pinnacles, pinnacle, yeah. It never occurred to me that really it's just blocks of stone sitting on top of each other. Like, it's not like there was some complex jigsaw puzzle holding those things together. It's just like flat, yeah. flat, flat, 
block of stone, block, block of stone, of block stone, of stone. Block of stone, yep. Is that like is that going to be that way, or will there also be a rod holding oh, those that together? Oh, that big, our yeah. engineers are finalizing their strengthening design. Yeah, that's southwest. Now, that southwest turret pinnacle and the southeast yeah. of the south transept here, those are actually very complex pinnacles, the way they're put together. Sure. Most of our pinnacles, like you say, are very simple. It's just stack, 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 stack. Right. Whereas these have some really complex shapes. Okay. Um, the way they were put together. I yeah. mean, it's still I was rotating. referring to like the very top of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The very top is still stack, 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 yeah. stack. But the midsection where those heads of the prophets are carved, you know, yeah. really complex. And the pinning and strengthening system that they're coming up with is quite complex for that. Definitely. For this 25th episode of Cathedral Talk, we are briefly switching gears and asking you, dear listener, to donate to the Preservation Fund for Washington National Cathedral. Repair work and restoration has been ongoing at the National Cathedral since the 2011 earthquake. And as you now have heard, much work yet remains to be done. If you go to our website at cathedraltalk.fm, you will find a special link on our homepage to support Washington National Cathedral which takes you to the page where you can donate to help repair the earthquake damage. Also, please check the box at the bottom of the donations page for WRS slash Cathedral Talk podcast so that we know you made your donation on the behalf of our podcast. We rely on the enthusiasm of our listeners to show support like this to encourage us to make more episodes. Thank you for your contributions, and thank you for enjoying our show. So I actually, I just have some questions that have been on my mind for a long time about stone and limestone. The cathedral here, Washington, is built out of Indiana limestone. Yep. And I take great pride of that because I'm actually, was born in Bloomington, Indiana. So um, it's it nice to know that uh, my hometown really had a contribution to this building that I love. Again, I'm just curious, why limestone and not other kinds of stone? Why not build out of granite or sandstone? And some cathedrals are. What is it about limestone that is your building material of choice? And as are most cathedrals, you know, in, yeah. in Europe. Yes, they are, yes. I think it became pretty evident early on. I mean, granite is an awesome stone, but my God, is it hard. And heavy, right? And heavy. And yeah. Especially back in the day, it was whatever the local stone was Notre Dame, right? That stone came from not too far up the river, right? Yep. In the UK, you know, you had the Portland limestone that, that was the limestone for many of the uh, English cathedrals. Yes. Um, although Canterbury is built of con limestone. Oh, okay. From France. I think St. Paul's is Portland, if I remember correctly. But yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all, all yeah. Different kinds of limestone. But no, so limestone here, Indiana limestone, you know, again, when this cathedral was started by the, uh, you know, late 19th century, the limestone mills in Indiana were, they were going gangbusters. It was, yeah. you know, right around after the Civil War that the limestone quarrying operations in Bloomington, Bedford. I've seen the movie Hoosiers many oh, times yeah. with the quarrying uh, yeah, scenes. Breaking away. And yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah, not sorry. Not Hoosier, breaking I away. Breaking yeah, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you caught me. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> I'm, an uh, Indian, I'm a Hoosier and I got so, that wrong. So, you know, by 1907, the local stone here in D.C. was a quiet creek sandstone. Mm -hmm. And that's what the White House is built out of. The, yeah. you know, U.S. Capitol or the early part of the Capitol and many other early, you know, 18th and early 19th century D.C. buildings 
because that was our local stone that they were able to float up from down there, you know, down mm-hmm. Aquia, their way and south on the river. Right. But even that, once limestone, Indiana limestone became available in quantity, you know, the builders were in the masons. So Indiana limestone is, you know, very high quality. And, mm-hmm. and the, the grade of limestone that we use on this cathedral, call it either select or premium buff. Okay. Um, so it's the higher grade of Indiana limestone. Um, so it's just a wonderful building stone. It has very good compressive strength. Hmm. You know, it's a strong stone, yet it's relatively soft enough where you could carve it into incredible things that you see on this building. So, so it's, it's very, very versatile, basically. Right. It's the best of both worlds. Very versatile for good strong. building stone and a good carving, uh, cutting stone. But it's not that it's one kind of limestone throughout the whole building, right? I think I remember reading that usually in vaults, you try to use lighter, more porous limestone. You know, our limestone, I, I from what I see, it's pretty much consistent. Is it really? Same. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, if you're up close in our vaulting, it's pretty much, it looks to me like the same grade okay. all the way around. Yeah. I think one of the recent discoveries at Notre Dame was that they did use different kinds of limestones in their vault. And when the firefighters dumped all that water on those vaults, oh, yeah. they're so porous that they sucked up all that water and it threw off the weight balance. It the did, yeah. I remember seeing, hearing, reading about that and seeing yeah. that. Yeah. And Remy and Philippe talked about that in one of their yeah. presentations. But no, we're pretty much the same limestone all the way through. And uh, again, th- this Indiana select premium material that we use is just fantastic. And there's so much of it, you know, even though this cathedral was built over 83 years, you know, there's there's no one single hole in the ground in Indiana that says, you know, Washington National Cathedral. <laughs> you know, they do have, I've seen it, it's called the Empire Quarry. Oh, okay. It was all of the limestone for the Empire State Building. All from one place. Came out of one quarry. Interesting. And it's still there. I think it's flooded now. I had almost forgotten the Empire State Building was Indiana limestone too. Yeah, yeah. And it was, in, now the India, uh, the Empire State, wasn't that built in like some ridiculous like three years? Oh, yeah. In like three years, in the early 1930s. Yeah. It was fast, I remember. So it all came out of one hole. Here, this cathedral, you know, many different quarries, even though it's, what, those two counties, basically, yeah. Bedford and Bloomington. Right. So that's the beauty of Indiana limestone also. You you can get it out of different quarries of the same in the same area. And right now, in, I'm, I've got, they're cutting up a block of limestone for me right now out here in Vienna, Virginia, mm-hmm. for some big finials uh, for the central tower. Is there a, a, a normal supply line where like you can expect a certain number of blocks per month or something? Yeah, the guy that, it, we, we use a guy literally out in Vienna, Virginia. He's got a stone mill and he gets some really nice Indiana limestone. And he's uh, he's got a 22 ton block that we purchased because it's one of the last really good blocks of this uh, premium buff. And I want to use that for these central tower finials. Yeah. Because what happened, the quarry that um, he's been getting this stone out of, this limestone out of, it's uh, the biggest underground limestone quarry uh, in Indiana. And it flooded a few years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> and no. they've got to pump all the water out of it. So he's got one of these blocks left. So It's going to take a while. I was able to convince... Uh, the powers that be, Charlotte, thank you, Charlotte, our CFO, 
<laughs> letting me buy this <laughs> block of limestone <laughs> before it's too late. <laughs> before it's too late. <laughs> so anyway, I um, and I'm more on limestone too. Check my facts on this because I'm curious about how limestone weathers. Does limestone, while it has all the advantages we talked about, its versatility mm -hmm. and you know it's strong, but it's also carvable and you know right it all of that. Yeah, but does it weather more than like granite, for example? And is that a problem for the structure? Yeah, lime. I mean, all you have to do right now, you could you see our your little balcony here at the yeah. tower. I mean, you could feel the inside of that block. Yeah, right. That's been indoors all these years, and then immediately go outside. Well, and we're not talking just about natural weather too. We're talking about like pollution right, and stuff. Right. Right. So look at how that block has weathered over the last sixty years in this case, but. Um, our cathedral, I mean, yeah, limestone weathers naturally. Mm -hmm. I love the way it weathers and I love that patina that it gets, that, that little rough. I like the look of it too. Yeah. 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 That, that rough, you know, uh, the, with the, the weather. And, you know, here's an interesting thing. Um, back in the, um, in the early eighties, the cathedral had a study done, a material scientist, uh, gentleman who I know, um, Mr. Livingston was his name, but uh, he was a material scientist that worked for the uh, Bureau of Standards or something. But anyway, mm -hmm. he spent about a year on this cathedral because at the time, you know, they were looking at, so how is this cathedral weathering? How is it, you know, the acid rain and or pollution and yeah. all this? So he spent about a year building, the, he built these catch devices on like the sloped surfaces of the cathedral. Yeah. And he's had several of these. I have the report still. It's pretty fascinating oh, love to, to see read. It. So he spent a year or so on this building collecting rainwater samples that, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, hit the limestone of this building and were collected. He measured erosion rate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of the limestone. And, you know, his conclusions were, and again, it kind of makes sense. You think about it. We live here in D.C. You know, it's not a heavily industrialized region. Yeah. You know, it's not like Pittsburgh. I mean, I've been to Pittsburgh. You see some of the old limestone buildings there. Yeah. You know, they're a mess from back in the day. Right. Uh, when the mills were going. But our limestone, I mean, in a nutshell, his conclusions were the limestone of this cathedral is weathering at the rate of two to four millimeters per century. Oh, okay. I think he said two millimeters per century. Okay. So not nothing, but not pretty, nothing, but pretty slow. Pretty slow. Um, yeah. And the rain, he was measuring, you know, catching the rainwater as it would hit the limestone and, you know, get caught and he would measure, you know, sediment. But he was also measuring the pH of mm. the rain. Yeah. And the rain, this was already now, you know, back in the late 80s, uh, the rain... Uh, falling in D.C. at that time was not particularly acid. Well, we're, we're pretty lucky to have clear skies in D.C. We've right. got not that much industry around here. Exactly. So right now, the cathedral is weathering naturally. Mm -hmm. You know, Mother Nature, uh, you know, who's to say that could change. But And here's the other thing limestone will do. Limestone will get a, uh, we use a slang term, like either we'll call it like a crust or a bark. Yeah. Like when you look at that weathered stone on the outside, when you feel that rough, it actually, that roughness is a crust or a bark that'll form. Hmm. Uh, another old limestone guy in Indiana, he was uh, uh, actually a, a geologist. Um, 
he, he was telling me that limestone, it's all, he called it a case hardening. You know, like <laughs> so does it does it protect it a little bit? Yes, it so will. it reduces and the you'll see erosion like when you're cutting it. When you're especially like Andy and Sean, our carvers will pick up on it. Like if you're cutting through a piece of the old outside weathered stone, they'll feel that little bit of the bark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crust that they have to cut through to get to the softer, not softer, but. You know what I mean? That yeah. So there's a little. I, I like the case hardening. Uh, the analogy uh, works quite analogy. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all good in that respect. So yeah. I mean, that number you gave me from that research. The, yeah. Um, yeah. The two, gentleman. Two point four millimeters. Like, I wonder if that stays consistent, or does that number reduce as the bark builds? I, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. And so that's kind of a little interesting tidbit. And there was another gentleman here back in the 90s. He was a science teacher at St. Albans. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, he did some experiments on his own and he came up with similar conclusions. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, we actually have, they're still on the roof of the West Towers. Mm -hmm. We cut, oh, that was with Bruce, the, the teacher from St. Albans. Sure. Um, we cut little discs of uh, limestone and we have them still sitting on the roofs of the West Towers at flat, 45 degree angle, you know, <laughs> 60 degree angle. And then some of them I coated with, you know, they, they sell all sorts of sealers and coatings for stone, yeah. which we don't use here. Um, you know, that stuff, well, yeah, the verdict isn't in on that stuff yet anyway. Right. It doesn't matter. You have to reapply it. Yeah. Um, but, but I remember applying some of this stuff to these samples and, you know, you can see a little difference, but now it's been 30 years and, it's all gone. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how these little samples of stone are weathering up there on our, you know, our little experiment. I still go up there and check them out every so often. And so it would take a long time for weathering and erosion to structurally threaten the building. Right. And you're not going to see, I mean, you, you go to the European cathedrals and you see how some of that stone looks like it's, you know, melted. It's, yeah. It's been eaten away uh, for hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds. So right now we're we're doing okay. And I mean, our, for example, our flyers on our buttresses, they're pretty robust. Whereas, oh, yeah. Whereas some of the European flying buttresses are very thin stone. Oh, yeah. And the stone is just compromised. You yeah. Know. Uh, so, no, no, we're, we're good right now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, in other words, Washington National Cathedral will remain standing for a long time, assuming there's no earthquakes, uh, for hundreds of years if you oh, just yeah, left it there. Absolutely think so. Yep. Yeah. One of the you know quirks about when they've done some research about Gothic cathedrals in Europe is that on occasion they'll find random tidbits of metalwork that are holding them together. For example, at the Cathedral of Amiens in France, it's the largest Gothic cathedral in France. It's so big that its central piers were insufficiently bulky to resist the thrust of the side aisle arches. Right, and they bowed. They bowed in. Yep, yep. And... It was, I guess it got so bad, and I think it was like the 1500s or something, that they, as an emergency measure, had to install these giant iron chains that run along the lateral parts of the I've seen. I've not been there, but I've seen that. That's what you're talking about yeah. in photos. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Now, that's a much taller and a little bit more uh, risky cathedral than ours is here. Is there any, like... Bits of metal work that are important holding this place together or nothing like that? No, we don't have any metal bracing uh, holding. I mean, at the top of this central tower, we've got the intermediate pinnacles 
Yeah. The eight intermediate pinnacles that are in the center. Yeah. So there's two on each wall. So the intermediates, if you look up, you can see the framework of scaffold holding them together because they rotated so severely. But when we dismantle that and put them back together, but no, there was never any sort of yeah. reinforcing structure, metal, banding, whatever you want to call well, we it. We had the luxury of learning from our forebears who built right. the old ones and we, we built a little bit more sturdy here. We have very thick central columns here that are right. Up oh, the piers in tower. here. And I think, you know, the brickwork that you see here. Yeah inside of the piers and then later we went to a concrete fill um it yeah it's really doing the job you mentioned earlier when we we're talking about the central tower and the you know the chambers above and below that there were some beams are those i-beams or is that other kinds of stone too uh, where's that i i, I could have remember i maybe i'm mistaken but i could have i thought you had mentioned that there you could see some beams crossing some of the ceilings at some point in the level in the tower. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Other than the concrete beams. That's okay, maybe I that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it was just, a concrete beam. Yeah, the concrete beams that are poured. Okay. You know, when you go up here, you'll, you you see them. That, that's what I mean by the beams. The beam concrete beams. Yeah, the concrete beams. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if concrete. they had concrete beams in the Middle Ages, but it's no, definitely I not. No, I mean, I remember yeah. being in, I remember going up the Bell Harry Tower at Canterbury. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of this tower. Well, actually, Canterbury yeah. Cathedral, you know, every, it's a very similar at, profile. If you look at it from a certain angle, it really does remind you of this one. You have to do a double take just to make sure. Right. But they're, they're, you know, Bell Harry Tower, again, proportionately, it's maybe it's not as stout as this, but their roof decks, I remember going up in there with one of the Masons, you know, the decks are just, they're wood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just wood yeah <laughs> it's, it's like, whoa yeah <laughs> yeah yeah right and then salisbury you know salisbury of course you go up into the spire it's got that insane framework yeah wood you know inside the spire i, I had actually not realized that salisbury's spire was masonry too i had not that had not registered oh yeah in my i brain mean that massive it stonework on the exterior but then it's got this interior timber massive timber frame uh, yeah, and then, you know, Salisbury doesn't have a, a crypt level yeah. built on grade. We were talking about foundations earlier. It's amazing how many various kinds of foundations all these cathedrals have. We have the giant concrete footprint here. Salisbury basically has a bit of gravel. A bit of gravel, and then all, a lot yeah. of the others are built on the ruins of the old Norman yeah. crypt. Right. Right. And then there's uh, a famous story of Sir Christopher Wren having to choose between clay and sand for St. Paul's. He chose clay, and it turned out to be the wrong choice because St. Paul started to settle too much and sink right. too much. And if you actually take a Triforium tour in St. Paul's, you can see that some of those windows start to go <laughs> into weird, odd points to correct the issues. <laughs> you can see it. I mean, not, yeah. I mean, our, we, I can point it out. Yeah, in the rare book wing and the northwest wing, those two little wings, you know, those west towers settling and settling over the years just took those little wings with them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can you can see some funky stuff if you look closely uh, in that Northwest and rare book wing. And I we were talking about metal work a moment ago, and I think one of the recent discoveries, at least according to the news I've been reading, at Notre Dame, again with the restoration from fire repair, is that it revealed when the roof burned off that there was metal work holding 
the top of the stone roofs along the nave. Oh, wow. Just where the roof was sitting on top of the nave. Right, right. And in fact, they think that that metalwork was put there when they decided to raise the roof a bit a few hundred years into the life of the cathedral. But it probably really saved the building to a great extent because it made sure that those stones didn't move as the roof collapsed right on top of it. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I look at those pictures of that roof burning and it's it was a day to remember unbelievable yeah you know and speaking of the central tower again that we're, we're which we're sitting in right oh, now man, which is are. my ringing room my favorite place here in the building this was the first of the three towers built at washington national cathedral and the i think it was dedicated in the 60s ascension day 1964 1964 there's actually two sets of bells here. We have the carolin below, and then we have the peel bells or the change ringy bells to the ropes for which we're sitting in the room right now. And they were used for services in Washington National Cathedral because the cathedral operated for many years while it was under construction still. The West Towers, which were again built much later in the 80s and you finished in 1990, I took one tour in those towers. I think they're pretty much void, right? There's nothing they there. They are. There's nothing in them other than... Uh a couple of decks, but not even decks. Yeah. They just built the beams. I mean, there's, there's louvers that give the illusion of there's probably something there, but we they're, have, they're um, empty. Yeah, <laughs> on the Southwest Tower, we have the antennas. So if you go down a couple of levels, there's a, a level there with all the repeaters, you yeah. know, uh, from all the various uh, folks who have their antennas on our roof, which is a source of revenue. So if, if Washington National Cathedral wanted to get competitive and win the Guinness Book of World Records for most bells in a cathedral, we could theoretically fill those towers you with could. more bells if we wanted, right? You could. <laughs> I know structurally they they could probably handle it because, yeah, those beams in there, the, the construction is pretty darn stout. Yeah. But yeah, the whole thing with the West Towers, I mean, yeah, we didn't have, they didn't have, you know, unlimited funding and they wanted to get them built. Yeah. So it was just, you know, build the, we can all, you know, you could always pour more decks inside. You've got the beams. Right. Yeah. You can, you can do that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're there. Who knows? I mean, we've got a lot of hundreds of years here. If someone wants to do something with the insides of those towers, they got plenty of time. <laughs> Does the, I, I think I remember, doesn't a part of the, the roof on the central tower here, it can be removed by a crane to put bells inside? Yeah. There's a hatch, a removable hatch on the roof of this tower which is how they brought the, uh, I believe that's how they brought the peel bells in because, yeah, the tower crane was up there. I know the carillon, they rolled them in through an opening. Well, I assume that this circle probably comes up to that. That would come up too because the yeah. crane came up through this circle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the mast of the crane. Because you have to get to the carillon below us, but right. then you still have to get through the ceiling above us for the chain right. ring bells too. Right, so the, the, theoretically this is all removable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I know the one up there. Yeah. Is, yeah. It's not unheard of, but it is relatively uncommon for a big cathedral to have its bells in the central tower rather than the west towers. Usually it's more common to have them there, but we chose at National Cathedral to build this one first and have faith that the funding would come to eventually build the rest. That's why they, yeah, I think <laughs> it was the right call, right? You know the story, the Dean Sayer. What, the bishop wanted the nave built so we could have more people in the building and have bigger services. And yeah. the dean said, no, let's build the tower. Then it'll put us on the skyline and the tower will build the rest of the cathedral. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm just on to some of my more nerdy questions here. So I hope you'll humor me for just a moment. Sure. One thing that has been on my mind a lot, again, with the restoration at Notre Dame and, of course, watching the earthquake repairs here, too, 
it's always hard to judge by monetary figures with inflation and you know how much things cost and comparing how much it costs to build the cathedral in 1907 versus how much it costs in 2022. I have this hunch, and I may be wrong, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I have this hunch that it seems like restoring a building faithfully, like doing all the you know historative practices of making right. sure things are authentic and rebuilding it after a massive event like the earthquake or the fire, it seems like restoring a building is a lot more expensive than just building a new one. I'm curious if you have some insight on that. If, like, for example, they raised a billion dollars for Notre Dame, a lot more than we have. A lot more. (laughs) And I get some reports that it might not be enough. They might need more than that. Um, Washington National Cathedral, again, it's really hard to do some comparisons based on inflation. But the official website for Washington National Cathedral states it costs $65 million to build Washington National Cathedral. Now, again... How do you adjust that from 1907? Well, to- you know that number. I remember where yeah. that number came from. Um, yeah, uh, back when that figure came out, back when we finished the cathedral in 1990. Our, our, yeah, the 65 million. What I heard is they just took all of the construction contracts from 1907 to 1990 and totaled it up. Yeah, so that's not adjusted for inflation at all. <laughs> yeah, and then adjusted and all. I remember Tony Segretti, our architect at the time, at 1990, he said that would translate to about $450 million. Okay. Half a, you know, whatever, half a billion. So half a billion, yeah. And I mean, you were telling me earlier about how much has been raised for earthquake repairs. It's like 35 or something. 38. 38. Yeah, it's still cheaper to do what we're doing. Okay. You know, I mean, we're not rebuilding an entire flying buttress. Sure. We're not rebuilding and, you know, vaulting, yeah. you know, Notre Dame. I mean, rebuilding a vault. Yeah. My God. Yeah. You know, that's... When was the last time somebody did that? Yeah, that's <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably, probably why they were so excited yeah. to visit. When they yeah. came, they could they'd see the most recent vault built Although, on Earth. No, actually, I mean, you think about it. Um, yeah. After the Second World War, after the First oh, World yeah, War, you had... True. Yeah. Um, cathedrals that were destroyed, and they did rebuild the vaults. That's true. Um, yeah. uh, but still, rebuilding, especially that main vault of Notre Dame, I think it's bigger than our central vault. It's a big place, and it's and it's not a square. It's a weird angles yeah. and all yeah. sorts of... Uh, how they're going to yeah. do that, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's going to be quite an undertaking, yeah. rebuilding a vault. I'll, I'll stick with our pinnacles, although... You know, the top of the central tower is going to be a huge challenge. Just I, maybe they'll come visit again just to oh, take yeah, some no, more notes. We're, we're, we're hooked up now. Can you invite me next time they come? Because I want to tag along. <laughs> yeah, they were, that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, that was really cool. I'll have to show you some pictures. Oh, please do. <laughs> um, yeah, and so Notre Dame is on a whole different level with how much work they have to do. And again, maybe I'm just misinterpreting the numbers as they come. But like when I hear like, oh, we've raised a billion dollars, right? It seems like you might be able to just build a new cathedral like without having to worry about all the historical accuracies if you just, oh, we got a billion dollars to build a billion, one. you could probably build another yeah. copy of Notre Dame. But yeah. Yeah. But, but to actually faithfully, okay, we're going to catalog all the fallen stone and, and we're going to- Use what we can. Do the historical, like put all the stones back to where they were supposed to go and then retouch all the windows. It-, it it just, I've got this hunch like restoration, it's a longer, slower, and I, I want to have somebody confirm, it, is it a little bit more expensive on the that? The way level? they're doing it there, it yeah. has to be. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, think about their 
get all those trees from all over yeah. France. Yeah, to, that's true. Yeah, rebuild their <laughs> Hold, roof. Holding, holding nothing back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's supposed to be ready for 2024 for the Olympics. Yeah, that's right. I, <laughs> I keep waiting for some updates on that because we're getting really close to that. And my hunch, and again, I know nothing, but my hunch is that it'll be probably something like, we're opening like an aisle for people to or come in and look. Open the, I, yeah. you know, I should have asked Philippe that question. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they could open, maybe they could open the interior. Yeah. And like we did when we were repairing our ceiling, you know, we had that dance floor right. built and the entire yeah. nave and transepts were open. So you could probably do that there. It was kind of a unique experience and you'll never see it that way for yeah. a long time because you could see like the stained glass shining on those nets that were hanging in the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not trying to test your loyalty here at all because we all love Washington National Cathedral tremendously, but I think it's fair to say nothing is built perfect. You know, everything has flaws. Exactly. And I'm curious, you know, for example, we have the very odd, cool, but odd, you know, buttresses that are detached at the end. Possibly, one could argue they're a design flaw, maybe. Uh, again, that's up for or debate. redundant or I'm, I'm curious yeah. if, if you had the choice to change how something was built so it's better. Is there anything at Washington National Cathedral that you'd be like, you know what? I wish we had done this in the first place. Yes. I can tell you what I would love to do with this building. Okay. The drainage oh, okay. on this building. Okay. The, not the roofs, but the gutters. Uh, okay. You know, you look down and you see a big lead roofs that, you know, work fine. They shed that water and you've got the gutters, these Big ones at the top here, right? The clear story. Our drainage downspout system on this cathedral, if, if I could change that, <laughs> I would in a heartbeat. And Mr. Froman, you know, was a genius. I think he improved. I think his design is an improvement of yeah. the original Bodley Vaughn. Mm -hmm. You know, he took it to the next level. It's beautiful. It, right. You know, the proportions, you can't argue the way this building looks. Everything's just brilliant. The drainage system, you know, if you, if you visit the, uh, you know, the European cathedrals, basically you have the gargoyles, you know, which spout, but then you also which have- was, Which was not original, by the way. I think that was an upgrade they made several hundred years into like Notre Dame where they were like, oh, there's too much water. How can we get all that water off the right. roof? Oh, let's use the flying buttresses to channel it. Right. Yeah. But a lot of, uh, I mean, it's simple. You go to a lot of the European cathedrals. You've got the gutters like we do. But what we have, you know, you, we have the downspouts that you see, right? Those lead downspouts. Yeah. But from the floor of the gutter, through the masonry wall, and then out that dumps into the collector box, you have a cast iron pipe buried in the masonry. Mm. And... It's not a straight shot. It'll go down, it'll do a 90, and then maybe another 90 inside the wall, and then finally comes out and does a 90 into that collector box. Yeah. And I think if you look, you know, I mean, if you look at any elevation on the cathedral, look at the south side of the nave or the north side of the nave, you see it very orderly, the downspouts in the same spot coming down, and then the next ones come down, and it looks really nice and orderly. Mr. Froman did that. But in order to do that, they had to run some crazy plumbing yeah. 
buried in these masonry walls. Well, what's happened over the years through movement, settlement, rust, I don't know, these cast iron pipes inside the wall yeah. are failing Ugh. and we get failure there and you get water in there. And right. the old days, what you had was an opening, you know, in the wall with a lead pan that just went straight into the collector box. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just a yeah. an opening, boom. You know, <laughs> it's not the most attractive thing or it might take away from the flow of the architecture, yeah. but it's simple and effective. Yeah. And yeah, they got a little too elaborate, in my opinion, with mm. the downspout drainage system. Okay. And that's something we deal with a lot here now. And you have to sort of patch it up here and there. Yeah. Or, and, you know. or, you know, we've had to core drill out things and reroute. Anyway, so that's what I would change. Well, and of course, <laughs> I think it's pretty unusual for a cathedral to have an HVAC system because we have air conditioning, right? Oh, yeah. We well, have, you like, know, that, and that's a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, we've got, and that's, um, you know, we have... That's another good point. Yeah. Right in the middle of the uh, Overcroft here, you know, when you walk through the auditorium mm -hmm. and then you're walking east, you've got a big mechanical room yeah. up above the nave and you've got air handlers and chilled water and all this. Well, sometimes a pipe will burst up there and water right before it was at the Bob Dole funeral. Oh, yeah. I think it was a Bob Dole funeral. The condensate line backed up. And all of a sudden, like in a couple hours before the funeral, water's dripping down into the nave. Oh, no. You know, from this <laughs> mechanical room that they stuck up above. Like right through the vault? Yeah, right through the vault. Oh, geez. And we've had another instance on the West, the West Towers, the first floor. You know, you take the elevators of the West Towers up. Yeah. Floor one. Yeah. That's nothing but mechanical space. Right. Up there. The massive air handlers and the chilled water that comes for the air conditioning from mm -hmm. the chilled water plant down here at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. You know, all that. Anyway, there was a, you know, a pipe burst up there and the water came pouring through the vaulting over the, uh, the human rights bay, the, you know, the north porch there. So here you have a Gothic vaulted building, a true Gothic building, but in many spaces, you've got modern HVAC systems, yeah. water pipes that could <laughs> blow at any moment where you oh, don't no. have that in some of the ancient. Yeah, no, it, and some of the old buildings, you just, you, if you're hot, you're hot. <laughs> you're hot, you're hot, yeah. And if we also not, have elevators in several places, too. Right, right. So, yeah, that that that's a, a little dicey sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you've mentioned, of course, having visited many other cathedrals in Europe, especially Britain and France. Uh, do you have a favorite aside from Washington National Cathedral? One that you yeah, well, let's like say my most? favorite UK one would be Canterbury. Canterbury, I just some something about it that's pretty cool there and the history there. Kind of feels like a progenitor of us in some ways. Yeah, and um, in France, well, I mean Notre Dame is yeah Notre Dame, but uh, um, I'll take that answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but. Uh, I always found Chartres. Yeah, Chartres is uh, a unique one. Yeah. Have you seen the before and after pictures of Chartres? Uh, because they've done a massive restoration there too. Only in the last 10 years. See, I was there in the late 90s. Okay, so then, because it used to be a very dark and foreboding, mystical place with all of its wondrous stained glass. But just in the last 10 years, they've done this massive whitewashing campaign. Oh, that's right. I heard about and that. And if you look at the pictures, it's, it's a different building. Uh -huh. And it's controversial. Like, we, we actually talked about this on the podcast a long time ago. And... I was like, 
I'm not against like cleaning it to make it right. brighter, but they've gone so far as to make it look like the stone is plaster. They, I guess they, they must have, they called it, and I know in the UK they called it a shelter coat. Yeah. Right. Do they like paint over like a lime wash or yeah. something in over fact, it? They, again, their argument, and again, it's a fair argument, they were trying to recreate the way it once looked long ago. Long ago. In uh, the day, yeah. And I get it. I understand historical accuracies, but there's some crazy things that the medieval builders would do that I was never aware of. Like they would paint over the joints of all the stone and oh, they yeah. would paint faux joints. Yes. And I to was, make a different geometric pattern. Yeah. And, it's like, and then they would paint the statuary. Yeah. And it the, seems like uh, a sacrilege to me is, would that be a sacrilege yeah. to you? Be like, aren't the good, aren't the real joints like yeah. good enough? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And paint the statuary, paint yeah. the boss stones. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. French, um, Chartres was pretty cool. And also Rance. Oh, uh, Rance. Yes. I, that's the one of the great four that I haven't been to. Yeah, that one's I need to awesome too. And then uh, Germany, Cologne is just insane. I mean, it's just... That is just a monster. We were talking about stone earlier. I think I read that Cologne is so black, not only just because of its proximity to pollution, but I think it's not built out of limestone. I think it's sandstone. No, it's this weird, yeah. like, volcanic... Yeah. Stone. God, what it, I've seen it. I mean, I was there okay. at the shop. It's this hard, dark gray. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's dark gray to begin with. I, I got the impression that the builders didn't realize how dark it was going to be. Right, though. right. Yeah, yeah. And then being next to the train station and yeah. wars and all that. Yeah. So, and then uh, Spain, I'll tell you, uh, Leon. Oh, yeah. Up north in Spain. Yep. Uh, Leon is awesome on the you know the way of Santiago and, and Burgos. You think you'll take a trip to Barcelona to see the Sagrada Familia? I haven't made Sagrada yet. I've been to Spain a few times because I have family there. But yeah, Sagrada, that's got to That'll be a big one. Insane. Seville, man, that's a monster too. Yeah, that's supposed to be like one of the biggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I think number two in the world after Milan or something. Well, actually, that leads into my next question. Oh, anyway. Uh, because Washington National Cathedral claims in many publicity statements that Washington National Cathedral is the sixth largest sixth cathedral largest. in the world. As a mathematician, I have to challenge under what metric? And again, maybe you know, maybe you don't. It can't be by height because we're no, tall. No, is it we're just square footage? Tall. Square footage. We are pretty long. Maybe we're quite I think long. it's square footage. Because, square footage. Because what is it? Number one is St. Peter's. Yeah. And that's big. I mean, think of the oh, square footage. That, that place, place is... It's, it's not like, necessarily tall, but it's just... Sprawling, right? Yes. I heard St. Peter's, Milan. No, St. Peter's, Seville, Milan, or is it St. Peter's, Milan, Seville? Some order of that, yeah. And then Liverpool, St. John the Divine. Yep. And here. I mean, St. John the Divine, it's, uh, well, let's see. They And it's still bigger than this one. So it's got to be square footage because yep. they don't have a tower. Right. And their west towers are stopped right you know terminated stumped off yeah but it's still bigger than us and it is i mean you walk inside we that. could spend another two hours just talking about saint john the oh, that place we'll, we'll do awesome that sometime too. that place is insane too they, um i mean we there's no longer construction happening there way back when construction was happening at washington national cathedral in the 80s and up to right. 1990 was there any kind of communication or dialogue going on with the builders in new york yeah yeah we knew the uh the builders there and some of the carvers uh, yeah. that worked there. Yeah. But then they made the conscious decision to just stop yeah. building it. And like, we're going to focus on, you know, our programs, sure. right? Sure. I was like, you know, that, 
That's fine. Again, makes me a little sad inside, but I get it. I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, and then, um, again, I mentioned I'm a math teacher here in D.C., and I have the ears of many young people. I'd like to ask on their behalf, if one of my students were to express interest in becoming a Mason, maybe one day working here or, you know, on some kind of masonry project, how do you get started as a Mason? Well, in this town, I mean, you there's apprenticeships. Um, Washington, D.C. has a, actually a strong, still a strong Mason's union mm-hmm. with a great, you know, apprenticeship program. You could start off you know they have good training and that's the way to learn it here you learn by doing you uh dc is a great stone town yeah (laughs) yeah you know that's where i started my apprenticeship here in the you know stone and marble masons union of dc yeah and uh uh yeah there's still apprenticeships you know Mm -hmm. they need people now yeah yep I, yep. It's a trade that doesn't get talked about as much as it used to, mm-hmm. uh, but it's so neat to see just what wondrous work that can happen here. And uh, if if any of the young people I talk to have any questions, I would love to direct sure. them to you direct sometime. Me, yeah, yeah. We had a young woman, an intern, working with us this summer uh, from a you know, there's a school in Charleston, South Carolina, the School of the Building Arts, the American College of the Building Arts. Yeah, they have a stone carving program and she spent a couple months with us here yep we're gonna have another one this summer Uh, anyway well and of course then working in tandem with the masons of course you have your structural engineers and and folks that you occasionally have to collaborate with right right we have a great team our engineers are awesome and uh yeah and i mean this of course then prompts the question too you know you've still got a good bit work left for earthquake repair uh one day you'll be done one day, everything will be fixed. Well, all of the earthquake, earthquake damage will be repaired. That was going to be my question. What happens after the earthquake damage is repaired? What happens next well, for the work for the Masons? There, even if we finish, you know, all the earthquake work in the next whatever, you know, six, seven, whatever years, eight years, uh, there's more masonry work on this building. We didn't go over every single square inch. Yeah, you know, the west towers are going to need repointings at some point. The there's parts of the nave on the clear story walls. There's uh, still carving to be done in this building. There's still yeah. embellishments. So no, no, it'll always uh, roof. I'd like to fix those crazy downspouts. <laughs> so there'll always be work to be done. Oh, yes. It's an ever-continuing project. Ever-continuing, yep. The west facade in particular, yeah, it's very devoid of... Uh, a lot of sculpture, isn't it? Because there's a lot of niches there for right. all the sorts west, of statues, the, right? That, the west, uh, yeah, the main west entrance there where, yeah, Ex Nihilio is, you know, the big creation carving. But yeah, you notice there on either side of Adam, there's still six statues. Uh, yeah. And on the east end of the building, all along, there's missing statuary that was never put in. Mm-hmm. If you look closely along the buttresses of the... Uh, south side of the choir and the north side Mm -hmm. inside the garth you know you'll see empty niches there's just two statues in the garth i heard the story i heard in the 1920s they were going to do all those statues and for some reason those two were rejected by the building committee yeah and then they halted that whole program but if you look one of when we were up on the scaffold a couple years ago on that side the one guy it's hard to tell from the ground but his feet are not yet carved he's like just, just a square block. You can see where they just said, stop. <laughs> it's kind of like one of Michelangelo's prisoners, those statues that are only partially out of the stone. They're kind of encased in right. the stone. He's still in there. Yeah. 
I, and again, what, one of the things I just love about Washington National Cathedral is it really is, it's a hybrid of architecture and design from Britain and France. It, is. it takes like the a, best of both. It does. The, well, what do you get? You get the, the length of the British with the height of the French? Or, yep. That's what I've always heard. And it is. Yeah, you can see that. You open it up for massive stained glass. Um, you have the very elaborate vaults, you know, many more ribs, uh, yes. like an English cathedral. Yeah, uh, you got the rose windows of the French cathedrals. We even have a little bit of fan vaulting, not a lot, yeah. a little in children's chapel. Yep, it's it's a good high high gothic vaulting, which is again more elaborate than a lot of French cathedrals. Yes, oh yes, yeah, yeah our boss stones. Yeah, oh the French architects. Yeah, I couldn't believe all yeah. our intricate carving on the boss stones. I think one of the I think one of my favorite elements too is the the shape of the bases of the piers in the nave, because they're not at all circular. They're compound piers, but they really are diamonds. Because They really are, and diamonds. it works. It works so nicely. The way they bend over, it's a really good looking kind yeah, of Yeah, no, it's very, the, like I say, Froman was a genius, yeah. you know, when it came to that. It's just, everything is so perfect to me, yeah. We, yeah. we talked earlier about, like, is there anything you would change about Washington National Cathedral? You told me about the, the drainage. That's, I'll tell that's you the, a very practical <laughs> thing, isn't it? The one thing that I would change, <laughs> again, is that, you know, as, as interesting as those East End flyers and the free buttresses are, it, it just feels weird to not have an ambulatory or a chevet. It's right. I, I just, I wish, I wish we had a nice wraparound aisle that you could walk around that apps and enjoy the space, you know? That's yeah, you're right, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah, the ambulatory, yeah, no, you reminded me of that. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I like our outer aisles, you know, that we have. You can, yeah. You know, those work well. And I, I, I remember somebody telling me, and I forget who it was, but I think there was a conscious decision to not have an ambulatory so that you wouldn't obstruct the windows of Bethlehem Chapel. I, that may be yes, true or not, something but, to do with the light. Yeah, yeah the, the windows of Beth, and those windows are spectacular. They are. They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Bethlehem Chapel. Yeah, if you were to ask me, like my favorite interior space of the cathedral. Yeah. For me, it's Bethlehem Chapel. It's an intimate space. Yeah, yeah. And then exterior wise, my favorite exterior part of the cathedral is the south transept. Yeah. The facade. I think that's a masterpiece. Also, those pinnacles. I've got a big photo of it covered in snow in my living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I helped build the West Towers, so I have a soft spot for the West Towers. Sure. But no, the South Transept facade is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, it'll be so cool to be able to rebuild those two pinnacles. Hopefully. I'm looking forward to watching every step We're of the way. On that next summer, I hope. <laughs> well, clearly, you you enjoy working B here. Uh, will you just keep working here as long as they let you forever? Yeah, that's for sure. I want to finish this thing, <laughs> yeah. hopefully. Except they'll never then, be finished, so there'll always be something well, to mean, do. Well, I mean, finish the earthquake. Yes. I'll be happy to <laughs> to be able to. That would be, I mean, I got that, the honor of setting the final stone in 1990 up there. I'm looking at it right now. And it would be so cool to help set the... <laughs> Final finial back on the uh, central tower. That'll be great to watch. <laughs> Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I really appreciate you sitting down with us for Cathedral Talk. And I really hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, this you was were great, a lot of Tom. Fun. I mean, you, you're awesome too. Your questions <laughs> and you're a cathedral guy like all of us. So I, there you go, I, man. Uh, I, I am <laughs> into that sort of thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, buddy. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. 
Please consider supporting our efforts here today at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Washington National Cathedral by using the direct link on our homepage to donate to their preservation fund. Remember to check the box at the bottom of the donations page for WRS slash Cathedral Talk podcast. Contrary to what you might expect, the National Cathedral receives no federal funding and relies on your support to function and to continue its repairs. Next month, David and Zach will be back off furlough and will be back to our usual shenanigans. Thank you for your ears and support. Good day and happy building.